you're being ministered to, you can keep being ministered to. It does not bother me one bit. I'm not going to preach. I really came to prophesy something. The Lord quickened in my spirit. I don't want to release it. You can be seated. You can stand however you want to receive. But I want you to know, and you know this by now, I don't come to deliver a word that does not lead us to a place of encounter. So don't disengage with me and get in sermon mode. I want your spirit to stay connected because I just want to declare what I feel like God's about to do in this room. And I feel like the worship has confirmed it. Has this not been such a powerful throne room worship night? Who can just praise the Lord for daughters, daughters that can just walk in an anointing? We love the Tuttle family, all of them. I'm going to tell you, I I grew up being influenced by Pastor Judy. She wouldn't know that. And to see what the Lord is doing in their house and in their family, man, such an anointing. The atmosphere, the table has been set and just feels good in this place tonight. And I believe the Lord has set us up for what I want to declare. So what I want to prophesy tonight is house of wine. House of wine. That's what the Lord dropped into my spirit house of wine. This is something, you know, I kind of got put in a situation about midnight last night. I know many of you came and thought you were going to hear Damon Thompson, and then you probably thought, well, if he's not here, it'll be Pastor Kevin. And guess what? Third in line is here. Stuck with me. And the Lord has this way of setting me up (laughs) because a lot of times he'll speak things to me that I really probably would not preach (laughs) until he pushes me into a place where I don't have anything else but what he's speaking to me. And I want to release what's been in my spirit for weeks. But I feel like the Lord has given me permission to declare it over this house. And it's been confirmed. There was a couple Sunday nights ago I was going to actually release it. And the spirit of the Lord just moved. And then I feel like as Damon's come in, he's confirmed it. I've received so many personal words. But whether you have been in this hundred days of glory with us or you're a visitor, it doesn't matter. The glory of the Lord, we're preparing for it. Whether you've been involved with us or not, we're preparing for everybody. We don't want just our table full. We're preparing for everybody. And we're not exactly sure what God is up to. And we're not trying to put words to it. You know, we've, we've said it's not like at the end of 100 days there's going to be this really good revival service. But there's a shift and a change coming to the face of this church and the face of the remnant church. And I know that the Lord has done many things in our life and ministry that he did not prepare us for. And they were pretty significant things that were suddenly. So for the Lord to take the time to give us a warning of preparation should be a sobering thought for all of us. And for those of you that don't know, the day that um, that word was released into this house, 100 days of glory, from that day until February 22nd, 2022 was actually 100 days. We didn't start our 100 days corporately till January 1st, but from the day that word was released, the day the Lord put it in my spirit, and I knew there was something significant about 2-22-2022 that I did not plan. I knew it was personal. I'm telling this for a reason. And when I released that word, I knew the Lord had said, no, you're going to plan personally for something you're making room for in your life. But I didn't know what. And a hundred days later, I hold this precious baby boy, my Judah's holding, Isaac Asher Wallace, that his due date, now he came on Valentine's Day, but he was circumcised on that day. His due date was 2-22-2022. Why are you telling that story, Pastor Devin? 
because I want you to grasp the magnitude of what God is saying when he says, get ready. I didn't just get a check in the mail, like, whoop, 100 days later, I got a check. I got a baby. I got a son, a sixth Wallace child. Our life has been turned upside down in a wonderful way. And his name is Isaac Asher, which is double joy. So why are you saying that, Pastor Devin? If God is giving us preparation time, there's a reason. So I want you to divorce yourself from preconceived ideas, from thinking you know what God's got planned, because I'm here to tell you we don't know what God's got planned. But we're making preparations. And so as we've been in this 100 days, can I just talk tonight? Good, because the glory is going to come in this place. Oh, and thank God, because this body is weary. But sometimes, you know, when our weakness is present, his strength is made perfect. And the best preaching, Devin, is tired, Devin, who doesn't get in the way of what God wants to do. So the filter's off. Y'all better not show this to Pastor Kevin. We started this 100 days. The Lord really took me personally to the book of Esther and how she went through a year of preparation for something marvelous a little orphan girl who saved a nation became royalty. You can't even make up stories like that. And the first part of it was about a purifying and a detoxing and a making room. For the first half of the year, you all have heard me teach this, Esther, she did treatments, beauty treatments with myrrh. And myrrh has so much representation. That's not what I'm teaching tonight. But I felt like the Lord told me, he said, the first half of this hundred days will simply be making room and detoxing the body of Christ. The only way I can liken to what I saw in the spirit is that have you ever bought a piece of furniture that you thought fit in your house or in your room? And then when it was delivered, you realized you didn't measure like you should have. Who's really had that happen? Please, that happens to the Wallaces all the time. I feel like what God was saying is that what I want to send to my bride is bigger than what she has space for, what she has faith for. I want to deliver the furniture, but I can't until some things are moved. And the first half was about making space stretching our faith some of you may still be in that process i'm here to tell you what god wants to do if you don't have a gift of faith on your life you won't be able to fit it in your heart if you don't have faith in your life leaders you won't have the ability to fit it in your church god has some awesome things in store and it was about making room and we crossed that halfway point actually last week i think we're on day Come on, Zion, 58, 57. When you're fasting, you count the days. Count the days. We're on 57 or 58. And this week, some significant things happened that I believe paint a picture of a transition that I want to release tonight. A transition over our church. And if you're from another church, you can grab hold of it too. Because God is not the God of just RTTN. God is the God of his church, his bride, wherever you're located. This is, this is just where I am assigned. So I'm going to speak it over my people, but you can take it. There's a transition that has happened that it's really, it needs to be prophetically announced. It needs to be prophetically released. And I believe it's going to be like a christening night. We're going to declare it and we're going to see it start to happen. There's a shift. And, and so Asher, 
precious Asher. A couple shifts took place over his life since his birth on February 14th. And they actually took place right here at this halfway mark. And, you know, God will always use natural occurrences in our life to speak a prophetic message. Maybe you're not one of those crazy people, but I sure am. Everything speaks to me. And if you let it, God will speak through everything to you too. And I see uh, Dr. Stephen Curley and Christy here. They got to participate. But two things happened that made a huge difference in my sweet Asher's life. Because if you don't know his story, Asher was conceived with a beautiful, courageous mom who knew she could not keep him. She had been bound by a life of addiction, found herself in jail when she found out she was pregnant. So many details that really don't matter. But all I know is a woman who had had many abortions in her life, decided that was not the route she was going this time. And we received a call on Christmas night about this potential. And as much as that mother will always be honored in our home, will always be honored in his life, we adopted Asher. And that means he left his birth family and he was grafted into a new family. And I could prophesy a spirit of adoption tonight. It's phenomenal. It really changes the way you see the Lord. If Kevin was here, he would weep and say, you know, this made me see God in a different way because all of the other Wallace children we love, but they were kind of a responsibility given to us that we love, but they were born to us. Asher, we didn't have to take. We chose him. And it's why God says, you didn't choose me. I chose you. It's an adoption. It's not an obligation. You aren't his only begotten son. Jesus was. All of us have just been chosen and adopted. And because of that, we had a former mother and father. We had the father of law, the father of Satan and sin, the father of the world. And when he adopted us, we talked about the blood of Jesus Saturday. Our old bloodline was broken. I don't care what family line you were born into, if it's a group of witches or addicts or whatever, every curse on your family can be broken by the blood of Jesus. When the enemy tries to attack you with bloodline curses, you've got to remind him, that's my old blood. Now a new blood runs through my veins. I have been adopted into a new family, a family that carries no curses, only blessings. And what's crazy about Precious Asher, we're still in that process. It takes about six months for it to finish. But when it's done, Genesis has already finished. She is an heir of the Wallace estate. Now, I love that my girls love these babies. And my boys love these babies. But, you know, they had to give too. They might not realize it now, but their inheritance just got invited, divided two more ways. Because you know the laws in the state of Tennessee protect adopted children more than natural born? They ensure that that adopted child has part in inheritance. And the blood of Jesus actually brings you to an inheritance that your former family could have never given you. Jesus actually volunteered to make you a co-heir. He actually has all of this inheritance that he decided out of his love to share with you. Isn't that amazing? That's not even my sermon. Devin, come back. Focus. But something happened over Asher that had to break a former season and release a new season. 
Because as long as Asher remains connected to where he came from, he cannot fully walk in the identity that he was destined for. As long as Asher is connected to where he came from, he cannot fully be grafted into what God has destined for him. So two things happens. Number one, I had the privilege of being in the delivery room and sharing in that beautiful moment with his birth mom. And Dr. Curley and she allowed me this beautiful right to cut the umbilical cord. What happens in that moment? Well, Asher's life source up into that moment was his birth mother. He was fed by that cord. He breathed oxygen through that cord. He could not survive without it. It was a tie and it was a connection to where he had been. It was absolutely necessary for a season of his survival. But if Asher was going to step into the place God had for him, there had to be a cutting away from the umbilical cord that had gotten him there. And we had to sever it. And the Lord began to speak to me. And he said, Devin, there are things in your life that I allowed as an umbilical cord. Look over your life. There were people, circumstances, situations. But I'm here to tell you, you cannot always stay tied to the umbilical cord. Although it might have been easier for Asher. If he was still tied to the umbilical cord, he would still be bound by where he came from. I do not know who this is for tonight, but I know it's for the body of Christ. The church cannot live off an umbilical cord. We have to move to maturity if we're going to inherit the glory that's coming. We're going to have to breathe the Ruach on our own. We're going to have to feed ourselves more than off of our leaders and off of other people. There's an umbilical cord of maturity that's being cut in your life. What was necessary for a season of development and birthing is absolutely not allowed in a season of fruit and maturity. And so I just want to prophesy over this room. There is a transition happening. And I just saw the Lord cutting the umbilical cord from some of you. You didn't know what was happening as you were making room for him. But the Lord is quickly, quickly moving you from a season of birthing and development into a season of fruit. And then after that umbilical cord was severed eight days later in the doctor's office to Maverick City Music with surprisingly Kevin present, and he didn't pass out, Asher was circumcised. Asher was circumcised, meaning he was cut in a very deep and personal place. And what was necessary in Asher's life for development and birthing what could protect and shield, if it had not been addressed, some of you men are hurting, but if it had not been addressed, later in life would increase the ability of infection and restriction in fruit. In other words, what got him to that place, it was a painful, swift cut that actually was not to destroy him. It was to release him into a season of maturity and fruitfulness. And I began to read through scripture. I even shared at school. We had such a powerful prophetic moment about the flint knife of the Lord. When it hits your life, it is cutting you away from a season of restriction and, and releasing you into a season of unrestricted fruit. 
We prophesied double before this 100 days began. And some of you didn't see it in the first 50 days. And it's because sometimes in order to experience double, there first has to be a cutting away. It's the way the kingdom works. See, we want him to work by natural means. But I'm here to tell you, if you want to be great, you have to serve, right? And if you want to increase, you have to decrease. If you want to experience fruit, you got to sow. You got to give. And I'm here to tell you, the kingdom is an upside down kingdom. And what happened, some of you were not expecting. I'm putting words to what some of you have been dealing with. It felt like the Lord was cutting you. It felt like he was removing things. It felt like he was touching you in a deep place. And I'm here to tell you, it's not because God was trying to take away. He is actually trying to move you into a season of multiplication and double. But he cannot bring you into a season of double until you let go of a past season. Because that past season that may have gotten you here will only restrict you in your future if you don't let go. So some of you have experienced the pruning and the cutting of the Lord. And guess what? Just like baby Asher, you survived. Some of you may not have allowed the flint knife of the Lord to pass across your heart. And I'm here to tell you it's not too late. Don't settle for minimal kingdom fruit because you prefer comfort in a past season. If the church does not let go of where she's been, she will never be prepared to carry the glory of where the Lord wants her to be. There is a moment, the children of Israel that were born in the wilderness, God sustained them in the wilderness. They ate manna. They saw a cloud of glory. They saw a pillar of fire, but that was actually not their destiny. Manna was not their destiny. Sandals that did not wear out was not their destiny. It was good glory days, but it was simply a passageway to something called the promised land, something they had never seen before, milk and honey they had never tasted before. And my concern is that the church in America has settled for a manna season. We have gotten comfortable in just enough. We have gotten comfortable in our Sunday morning uh, IV of glory in our life and we have forgotten that God has more and so I want to prophesy that the day the children of Israel allowed the flint knife to circumcise them as they were about to enter the promised land was the day that the manna stopped falling we all have manna stories we love our manna stories But my children aren't going to live off manna the rest of their life. There is a move of the spirit and a dimension of glory that the eye has not seen and the ear has not heard. You may think you've seen it and you've got it figured out. It hasn't even entered into the heart of the bride of Christ. The surprises the Lord has in store. So how do you know there's more, Pastor Devin? Because in my own lifetime, I have tasted of a dimension of glory that I have been left hungry for. And I'm here to tell you, my children will not experience less than what I have tasted. And so I just want to prophesy that we have crossed over this midway point, And just like little Asher went through it right at the 50 days. There's a cutting of the umbilical cord. There's a circumcision of the heart. And it has seemed like a reduction. But I'm here to tell you the next half of this hundred days is about to be a release of the double.
a release of the multiplication. Now, if you haven't allowed the cord to be cut, if you haven't allowed the Lord to circumcise your heart, you may be left with your single-digit fruit. But I'm here to tell you, I'm not going for addition. The kingdom operates by multiplication, and there is a multiplication coming to the body of Christ, and it required a cutting back. So I want to just prophesy that as we move into this second half and we're already in it, we're about to see a manifestation of the double. You're about to see an accelerated manifestation of the double of the glory of God, a manifestation of his promises and fulfillment. And those suddenly and surprises we've been seeing, I'm here to tell you we're about to see a manifestation of the heart of the Lord. You've moved the furniture. You've made space. And I declare a U-Haul is pulling up in your driveway. I declare what God has been desiring to pour out. It's beginning. And the Lord began to speak to me that in these transitions, when the children of Israel moved from the wilderness to the promised land, there was a diet change. The manna was not sufficient anymore. It was good for a season. When will the church learn that the Lord is always moving? We get hold of manna and we think God will always do manna. He can only do manna. And if it ain't manna, it's not God. And I'm here to tell you, God has things that are beyond the manna season. And there was a diet change. They went from manna to milk and honey. And you'll see this pattern as there is a kairos moment, a shift in the kingdom. There will also be a diet change. And I want to just read from John chapter 2. Chad, if you can put that up. I'm speaking house of wine. Stay with me. We're almost there. The Lord took me to John chapter 2. Very familiar passage. And he said, Pastor Devin, I am about to turn the water to wine in this house. I'm about to turn the water to wine in this house. There is so much deep meaning behind this passage, but I'm just going to speak the rhema word that God gave me from it. Because we see in this very familiar passage that Jesus is at a wedding. And as we were declaring the return of the Lord in this place tonight, I'm here to tell you his return is soon. Don't you become numb to that message in 2022. The clock is ticking. Prophetic swirls are all around us. The Lord Jesus is returning. He is coming for his bride. I don't care what theology you've been given. It does not change my heart. I know the Lord Jesus is returning. There is a wedding that is being prepared and you can never have a Jewish wedding without the flow of wine so in the Old Testament there were two beverages that was really about it there was water and there was wine there was some strong drink in there some crazy concoctions they made that probably make our moonshine look pretty pathetic but it was water and it was wine and I, I thought about meddling in talking about drinking tonight, Kevin would probably have my head. But it's so hard to talk about the theology of wine in Scripture and the revelation of the wine of the Spirit without especially my student's brain going to, can we drink? What about wine in the natural? Y'all, I have lost my mind. I don't care what anybody thinks. You know you're thinking it. And just in case you're wondering, and maybe it'll just be a discussion we have at another time, 
Kevin and I, we, we embrace a lifestyle of abstinence. We, we don't judge whatever your theology is, but I will tell you, I can certainly lay out scripture that will probably do away with your martini and your liquor. Strong drink is absolutely forbidden in scripture. Oh, I'm going to have to pull it out, aren't I? Jesus, let me, just, let me just go there. Somebody don't believe me because you know why? Pastors are afraid to talk about this. And because we're afraid to talk about this, we have a generation that's trying to figure it out themselves. And the Bible actually talks to us about this. So I'm here to tell you the Bible makes two things very clear. Number one, you can't get drunk ever. It's never permitted I don't care if your theology told you if you're a pastor, you can't get drunk. That is absolutely not scriptural. The Bible says not to be drunk with wine where it is excess, to be, to be filled with the Spirit. The Bible says drunkenness leads to poverty. Drunkenness leads to disease. Drunkenness leads to poor decisions. I can show you scripture and verse for everything I just said. So I love you, and I'm so going here, but somebody needs to be set free. There is absolutely no theology, no scriptural theology that allows for drunkenness. There's absolutely no strip scriptural theology that allows for strong drink. I don't care even if you're not a Nazarite and you're not a priest. The Bible says that strong drink is a viper. It's a serpent that you'll be misled by. So if we were going to have a theological debate tonight, which I'm absolutely not intimidated to have, I think it's great to talk about how we all interpret scripture. The church ought to talk more and we'd have less confusion. We could probably talk about wine. And let me tell you, this is my litmus test for someone. Why am I doing this? If you can't sit down at a table with me and drink your glass of wine, you probably shouldn't be drinking it. <laughs> if you can't sit down with me with good consciousness and drink your glass of wine, then you absolutely carry some conviction about it. But I have Christian friends that can sit down with me and order their glass of wine. And I know at that moment they've made some kind of resolution with God and, and they feel peace. But if you have to hide it, that's usually a red flag. You ought not be doing it. But whatever you want to interpret from Scripture, I do want to say a couple things to this generation. Because i got sons and daughters in this room. I'm going to read some scriptures. Proverbs 31. What my son and what the son of my womb, give not thy strength unto women, nor thy, thy ways to which destroyeth kings. It is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes to drink strong drink. Lest they drink, forget the law, pervert the judgment of the afflicted. Wow, what is that saying, Pastor Devin? In a nutshell, if you're a leader and you get drunk or you're led astray by wine, you're going to make poor decisions. And if you're going to operate as a king and a priest, whoops, I guess that's what we all are. You've got to make sure that what you do does not impair your judgment. There were absolutely people forbidden to drink wine in Scripture, Nazarites. A Nazarite could not touch any of the fruit of the vine. And we're going to find that even John the Baptist was a Nazarite. In Luke 1 and 15, it said, He will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he shall not drink wine or strong drink, but he shall be filled with the Holy Spirit. What's really important to see about the Scripture, it's just like the book of Ephesians when we're commanded not to be drunk with wine. There is a counterpart that is offered. John the Baptist will not drink wine, but he will be 
filled with the Spirit. You shall not be drunk with wine where it is excess, but you should be filled with the Spirit. There's a clue in these passages. Why are you breaking this down? Because I'm here to tell you the Old Testament is a type and shadow of what the New Testament, the new covenant by the blood of Jesus makes available to us. And before you leave mad at me, let me just tell you something. God actually wants us to live a life of drunkenness. God is actually a pretty big partier. Religion lied to you and told you God just wants you to read your word, quote scripture, and talk to him, but not experience him. But God is not a long-distance relationship. He doesn't want to just stay on the phone and never get near you. God actually purposed. In fact, the long-distance relationship ended on the cross, and the coffin was put in the long-distance relationship on the day of Pentecost when fire came from heaven and a flame set on every individual. At that moment, God said, never again will I be distanced you're going to experience me. And I'm here to tell you in the Old Testament, they could not experience him. There would be the Spirit of the Lord would come upon prophets and they would speak, but the Spirit of the Lord could not reside in anyone. And I'm here to tell you, God gave them the gift of wine as a prophetic sign of what he was sending in the New Testament. Why did they have wine at every feast, wine at every wedding, wine at every party? Because it was God's desire that when the Holy Spirit was poured out, you could have the Holy Spirit at every wedding, at every gathering at every party wine is a shadow of a greater promise <laughs> so if you need to drink your glass of wine to sweep, sleep well at night there's no condemnation in here some of you are mad at me for that some of you religious people are like oh my gosh beat them over the head you got to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling but I will tell you this the reason why the Nazarites were forbidden to drink I want you to know that any priest on duty was forbidden to drink do you know that's why Jesus on the cross, he said he was thirsty and they offered him sour wine. And when he tasted it and figured out where it was, do you know what the book of Luke says? He refused to drink it. You know why? He was a priest on duty. When you were going to go into the glory, you couldn't have wine. And there's a passage in the Old Testament, I believe it's in Malachi, where it talks about how the prophets were prophesying, but they were actually prophesying out of drunkenness. Because drunkenness actually mimics the move of the Holy Spirit. And I will tell you this, you cannot be drunk and manifest the Holy Spirit at the same time. Oh, this is just truth to set you free. You cannot be intoxicated with a counterfeit and expect the genuine to flow through your life. So in the Old Testament, Samson was forbidden to drink. The priests were forbidden to drink. The Nazarites were forbidden to drink. The, the kings were forbidden to drink. The princes were forbidden to drink because they had a role. They had to have the ability to house the glory. They had to be able to get in the glory, and they could not afford, the Word of God says, for the common and the uncommon to be confused. I'll just read it to you, can I? Leviticus 10. Then the Lord said to Aaron, you and your sons are not to drink wine or other fermented drinks whenever you go into the tent of meeting or you will die. This is a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. Hello, Generation Z. So that you can distinguish between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean, and you can actually teach the Israelites all the decrees of the Lord. So in other words, if I'm going to enter into the glory of the Lord, I cannot be intoxicated with a counterfeit or that the children won't be able to know what is real, what is fake, what is clean, what is unclean, what is common, and what is uncommon. 
So why does Pastor Devin live a life of abstinence? It's not because I'm here to judge people. It's because there's really not an hour of my day that I want to forfeit the Holy Spirit filling me. I'm being very serious. It's not at dinner time for me. It's not at bedtime for me. I don't come to church and hope I can prophesy to you. I wake up in the morning and I say, Holy Spirit, where are you? Feel me. Speak through me. I go to Walmart. I go to bed at night. And so it may be good for you. It may taste good for you. But I cannot afford for any moment of my day to be disconnected from the flow of the Spirit because I'm taking something that is an inferior manifestation. But I am here to tell you, God actually made you to want to get drunk. (laughs) Woo, I'm making some people mad. I feel it. Why do you think young people struggle with the temptation to drink? Because you were made with a desire to disconnect from this natural realm and experience what intoxication does for you. You were made for an encounter with the Spirit. Religion taught you you can't feel that, you can't want that, and we just learn to hide it. But I'm here to tell you, sons and daughters, the bar is open, and this is not a bar that costs you. You won't have a hangover tomorrow. God wants to pour new wine on you. He wants to give you joy. He wants to give you peace. He wants to jerk you out of this realm into a supernatural realm. So why don't you just look at your neighbor and say, I was made to get drunk. And what's happened is we have one of the most addicted generations They're addicted to drugs, they're addicted to alcohol, they're addicted to pornography, and the reason why is we have sold them a lie. There's a desire in them, there's a craving in them, that because we denied it to them in the church, they are finding it in the bar house and the clubhouse, they are finding it in their friend's house. There's this desire in them, there's this craving in them, and in church we've said, you can't want that, you can't crave that, God doesn't have that for you, and they've turned to false addictions. Whatever in your life you may be using alcohol for, is it something that quite possibly the Holy Spirit could fulfill for you? I don't sleep well, Pastor Devin. I guarantee the Holy Ghost can help with that. I have rough days. Oh, I know he can help with that. I have a hard life. I need something to numb me. I'm in pain. I know he can help with that. See, I'm not saying it's evil. I'm saying it's inferior. And when someone brings you something superior, it's almost an insult to the gift giver to turn to what is inferior. So I had to to lay all that out just because Kevin wasn't here. (laughs) And to say, without shame in this house, I raise our sons and daughters not to be dependent on alcohol. I don't judge if they, they want to drink a glass of wine, but don't you drink your martini in front of me. I might say something. I'm just kidding. I really wouldn't. I would pray the Holy Spirit would say something. 
If you're getting drunk all the time, I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to pray for you and say, you know what? There is this level of God and this experience available to you. It's a lot cheaper. It's a lot quicker. It will not leave you hungover the next day. It won't cost you your marriage. It won't cost you your faculties. You won't get in the bed with the wrong person, and you won't wreck your car, and you won't make a poor decision. The Holy Ghost will just fulfill those things in you without the consequences. And I came to talk to sons and daughters in this room. If you've bought the lie of religion, I'm going to tell you around here, around here, I pray we cart you out drunker than you can see straight. Around here, I pray you laugh so hard it embarrasses your mom and dad. I pray you party hard in church. I pray every time you come to church, you and your friends roll in the Holy Ghost and you forget your troubles and you remember that this was meant to be a house of wine. I feel the joy of the Lord in this place. So, <laughs> what, what was wine meant for in the Old Testament? For joy, for celebration. Do you realize what Jesus has done for you? Do you realize what the cross has done for you? Do you realize what the blood of Jesus has delivered you from? If they partied in the Old Testament when all they were doing were observing feasts and it was just a shadow of what was coming, how much more should the church be partying when we have seen the fulfillment of all but one of those feasts and we have tasted of the new covenant and we have been set free? How dare we come to church with a sour face and sit there twice dead, plucked up by the roots, acting like our faith has nothing to be happy about. I'm here to tell you, I don't care how hard your week has been. You ought to walk into this church house like you have walked in your past into a bar house. And you ought to say, I came in here to disconnect from my troubles. And I came in here to celebrate with my friends. And we celebrate Jesus. We celebrate our deliverance. We celebrate that we have overcome. And I'll drink to that. Look at your neighbor and say, I'll drink to that. Some things are worth drinking for. Woo! <laughs> oh, I wish I could tell you what I feel bubbling up inside of me right now. Some things are worth drinking for. And when I think of what the Lord has done in my life, it makes me want to have another drink. He has been so good to me. He has loved me. He has been faithful to me. He has blessed my life. He has set me free. Why don't you celebrate with me? Some things are worth drinking for. alcohol does. Not because any, any of us should know, but in a distant past life. Let me tell you what alcohol will do. On your worst day, right? That's when most of us used to tip the bottle, right? Not me, really, not me. Not me, Zion and Judah. <laughs> On your worst day, if you have an addiction, it's the first thing you go to. Because guess what? When you drink alcohol, your circumstances don't have to change for the joy to take over, for the crazy to take over, right? For the tears to flow. You can be numb in your heart. 
You can have the worst day, and you can pull up at that bar, pay for that beverage, spend half your bank account on some cheap, inferior fix, and you can be laughing in 45 minutes, forgetting your troubles. <laughs> and we think when we come to church, our circumstances have to change before we can recognize God is good. We think when we come to church, our emotions have to line up before he can move in our heart. And I'm here to tell you, the church has lost its joy. We've made joy circumstantial. We've made joy the result of our atmosphere and the result of things around us. But I'm here to tell you the wine of the Spirit is not confined to your circumstances. The wine of the Spirit is not confined to the natural realm. You can have the worst day possible. Get in your prayer closet and you can let the Holy Spirit come on you. And in 30 minutes you can be laughing, crying, rolling at the same time. And your mean old boss may not have changed. Your marriage may still be a wreck but you can stand in joy that you have a source from another dimension and your problems don't have to define you so I'm going to tell you the best drunks are those who are actually in a struggle actually going through opposition actually in a battle those are the ones who need the Holy Ghost the most because they just sang it tonight and I was laughing it as they were singing it wine was meant for joy and the joy of the Lord is your strength and in your weakness his strength is made perfect so if you put all those scriptures line upon line precept upon precept you need to drink when you're weak because when you're weak you're going to feel the joy of the Lord the most on your life I'm talking about drinking in the spirit and it's that joy that will give you strength why is the church weak why is the church defeated because we have disconnected from the wine of the spirit we've settled for a religious experience that has no reality and has no power and we walk around heavy and we walk around depressed and we walk around weak but I'm here to tell you God is transforming this place into a house of wine and he's about to strengthen the feeble knees he's about to strengthen the weak heart and we're not going to walk in weariness. We're going to operate in joy. Why don't you just tap your neighbor and say, take some joy. Oh, I'm going to tell on him. I'll never forget. One time Tim Hall was here, and he has such a grace for the joy of the Lord. And there was drunken laughter breaking out all over the sanctuary. Whew, it was phenomenal. And, and you think, what's the point of that? Oh, people were getting healed of terminal sicknesses. People were getting set free. I had a young lady, she shared a testimony just a few weeks ago. She got drunk in the spirit. And most people would look at her and think, that's ridiculous. She's laughing like a crazy person. But she got up and said, I feel whole on the inside. There was a big hole in my heart that Jesus just healed. You don't know what's happening when someone is experiencing the Spirit. I'm here to tell you on the day of Pentecost, they look like drunken crazies. They come stumbling out of the upper room, talking in other languages, but 5,000 people were saved. You want to talk about a church growth model? Why don't you open a house of wine and let the Holy Spirit move? So, Holy Spirit was moving, and my children have been known to drink a little in the Spirit. And poor Jeremiah was just off his rocker. 
and I was watching him, and he was going around the sanctuary, and he was saying something. And when he would say it, people would fall out and start laughing and rolling in the spirit. And finally, I got close enough to find out what is he saying. And he said, here's a to-go box of joy. Take it home. Here's a to-go box of joy. Take it home. He was going all around the sanctuary. Here's a to-go box of joy. Taking it home. And you think that's crazy, but the Lord was handling out to-go boxes of joy. And people were just receiving a spontaneous well of joy in their life. So I'm here to tell you, she already sang it. It's about to get wild. It's about to get crazy around here. I'm here to tell you, this is a house of wine. The Lord said, I am about to transition this place to a house of wine. I am going to strengthen my people with joy. I'm going to heal them with joy. I am going to manifest my glory. Pastor Devin, this is 100 days to glory. Why are we talking about wine? Because in John chapter 2, verse 11 says this, this miracle, which miracle? Water to wine. In Cana was the first of many extraordinary miracles Jesus performed in Galilee that revealed his glory. That revealed his glory. When the Holy Spirit is poured out, it is a revealer of the glory of God. So as we are in this preparation for 100 days of glory, and we're like, God, show us your hidden self. Show us what's never been seen before. Pull the covers off of what you have never shown us before. Remember, glory is the hidden face of God being revealed. When he does that, it is by the move of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is not here right now. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. But he sent an ever-present help in the time of trouble called the Holy Spirit. And remember, Jesus said these words to his disciples. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And I'm here to tell you right now, we don't see Jesus, and we don't see the Father, but we see the Holy Ghost. And where you see the Holy Ghost, He is testifying of the Lamb. So when you are praying more glory, you are actually praying more wine. You are actually praying more fire. You are actually opening the windows of heaven for a greater outpouring of the Spirit. So I'm here to prophesy over this house Water is turning to wine. Water is great. It will sustain you. It's like manna. It will keep you alive. It's like the pillar and the cloud. Water is necessary for survival. But I'm here to tell you, wine is just a blessing and a bonus. <laughs> Religion told you all God would give you is what you need to survive. And I'm here to tell you we are moving out of a season of survival into a season of the ridiculous, unmeasured favor of the Lord. Water to wine means survival to overcoming. It means just enough to more than enough. And I prophesy over this house, he's not just here to sustain us. He's not just here to get you to heaven. He's about to bless your socks off with a supernatural outpouring of his glory in your life. If you can receive that, raise your hands. Shout amen. No more manna. I break religious barriers off of your mind. I break religious lids off of your mind. He's not a water God. He's a wine God. He's not a man of God. He's a milk and honey God.
to tell you, we're going to taste and see that he is good. You won't see him as good until you taste how good he is. Stand with me all over this place. <laughs> oh, I just feel joy in my heart. I feel joy in my heart because religion kept me dry for so long in my life. Analysis and criticism kept me so dry. But there was this day I stepped into a house of wine. Now, I don't know what your house of wine might have been, but mine was the Brownsville Revival. I've told you I was 16. And all I knew was a water God right? He moves at this time. You can experience him this much, no more. There's not much joy. He just wants to keep you out of sin. You cannot enjoy your relationship, and you certainly cannot encounter him. And I walked into this parking lot, and something started shaking inside of me, and tears started flowing, and I realized there is something supernatural going here. My mind is like criticizing myself. You're crazy, Devin. Stop crying. Stop shaking. This is ridiculous. But my spirit was getting drunk. And I began to taste and think, the Lord is good. And I'm going to tell a story. Probably won't make sense to most of you, but there's this movie about these parents, grandparents that take their children for the weekend. And like typical grandparents, they break every rule of the parents. What's that movie? parental guidance and the mom had made the little girl eat healthy her whole life anybody saw this movie and grandma gets her a cake and she takes one taste of icing and by the time the mom gets home she's got cake in her hair cake down her clothes she's like an animal and she looked at her mom and she said you've lied to me my whole life ice cream does not taste like yogurt that's what Devin Wallace felt like I tasted it, and I was like a starving daughter. I realized I had been lied to my whole life. God did not taste like yogurt. He tasted like cake and ice cream. It ruined me forever. I could never eat the same way. Every time I went to church, all of a sudden I looked at people like, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? Don't you know you can taste him? And I'm 42 now. I tasted him at 16. And I'm going to tell you, I have never stopped craving. I am fully addicted. I have a terrible habit. I have to taste him every day. I cannot stand coming to church and settling for less. When I go to prayer, I'm not stopping until I touch heaven. Because he is real. And he is near. And I feel like that's about to happen for somebody tonight. You've never tasted what I'm talking about. And you're about to taste it. And something's going to come in life in you. That religion told you you were not permitted to desire or to seek. A craving is coming alive in you. And you are coming back to life. Joy is overshadowing you. Peace is coming to you. Depression is leaving. Heaviness is leaving. You want to get rid of suicide. Let the wine of the Spirit be poured out on Generation Z. Let them taste Him and know that He is good. So hands lifted. Father, 
we receive your word. Lord, I declare over this sanctuary, according to the Song of Solomon 2, verse 2. I didn't even read the text. It's okay. I'm a little drunk. Lord, you are making this place your house of wine. I thank you for the water. It's been good. We've yielded in obedience. But you're about to touch this place and do something no man can take credit for. You're about to touch this place and and transition your people from a season of survival to a season of blessing and thriving. Hands lifted. I don't have to worry about my children being in the bar house. There are some Saturday nights in Jeremiah's little apartment. They've made their little prayer fort, and they are just drunk. And Jeremiah will come over and say, Zion and Judah, come on. We want to prophesy over you. And then my girls get drunk. And I say, Father, thank you. Thank you that they will never crave an inferior substance because they have tasted of what is eternal and what is real. And it has satisfied. It has not left them void and empty. But my children are addicts to the glory. So I just decree, you can decree it over your address. The Wallace house is a house of wine. Woo. Oh, I'm praying personally now. You better grab hold of it because I'm praying for my own house right now. Father, let the Wallace house be a house of wine. Let the Wallace house be a house of wine. And Father, let redemption to the nation's church be a house of wine. Take us into your house of wine because your banner over us is love. Father, we dare to believe you for limitless outpouring. We dare to believe you for ridiculous blessing. We dare to believe you for limitless glory. We dare to believe there's more than enough for all. All who are thirsty, Jesus said, come to me and drink. So right now, why don't you just decree it all over this place? We have stepped into a house of wine. And Father, pour it out. Pour it out. Your wine has no limits. Sometimes we are not qualified for his blessing until we reach the end of our own resources. And I'm here to tell you, We are stepping out of our resources into the limitless outpouring of heaven. If you just want to worship and take in the wine of the Spirit, I'm here to tell you the table is open. The altars are open. I just want you to lift your hands and ask the Holy Ghost to move on you in a way you've never experienced before. Open the close connection. Throw away the concept of long-distance relationship and dare to believe that he is here and he is here to encounter you. Woo! Kadana Messiah. Dare to believe him for joy. Dare to believe him for peace tonight. Oh, Kadana Messiah, Kaya. Yeah, Messiah. So I'm going to ask those beautifully anointed turtle girls to come back in here. They're going to be our live music tonight.
and I just prophesy the Lord has some new wine to pour out in this place. If you've never experienced him before, or if you're an addict like me, I'm here to tell you there's plenty to go around. I don't want you to worry about anybody or anything. I want you to step into another dimension. I want you to step into another realm right now. Lift those hands like antennas. Open that mouth which opens your spirit and welcome the Holy Spirit. Hey, welcome him to move upon you and through you and in you. 